Welcome to Trending in Education. This is Mike Palmer. Really enjoyed today's episode where I got a chance to talk to Catherine Patricia Cobbler, who's a musician who plays the viola. She's also a music educator and a visual artist. Wound up being a really interesting conversation. Before we jump in there, I wanted to start with a little bit of sound that will be interweaving into this episode. A little bit of original music from Catherine Patricia Cobbler, When Mountains Speak. We'll start with a little bit of this here and then hear more of this as we interview Catherine throughout the remainder of the episode. Thank you for listening. Trending in Education, Mike Palmer here, joined today by Catherine Patricia Cobbler, who's a musician, composer, and educator. Really interesting story to tell. We'll pick up with that in a moment. Before we do any of that, Catherine, welcome to Trending in Education. Thanks so much, Michael. How are you this morning? I'm doing pretty well. I'm back. I was just on a road trip with my wife and three-year-old son, and we're still all doing well, which is saying something on a number of fronts. But yeah, I'm excited to get back. I haven't interviewed anybody in a while. It's a, it's kind of a fun format to to play with. And we're going to hear more from you in a bit, you know, about music education, about the integrating the arts and education in a lot of interesting ways. Before we do that, we always like to start by hearing our guests' origin stories. How did you get to this point in your professional life? Spin us a yarn, tell us a tale. How did you get to this point in your career? Thanks so much. So my main instrument is the viola, actually. Like many violists, I started on the violin. Uh, the rule in my house is that we all had to play an instrument. And so at the age of five, I believe I actually started on the piano, uh, but the two-hand thing wasn't working for me. And so, you know, I, I had to choose an instrument. My dad had asked me one time violin, and I didn't even know what a violin was at the time. But I thought, you know what, let's give it a go. And that started a long journey of just with, with particularly with those string instruments, you start off and you have that one-on-one -on -one lesson experience, but then you go to flute class and then you go to orchestra and then there's chamber music with string quartets. And I think for me, as much as I love the sound of string instruments, it really was the community that captivated me and feel really privileged to have amazing teachers and also just to be surrounded by great musical community. But something I guess that's a little bit different about me is that before I even had started any kind of musical study, I actually started as a visual artist. As a kid, I was always fascinated just by how do I capture the world around me? And so I'd taken some visual art lessons, but it was whether it's my family member sitting on a couch or a vase with flowers in that I always was really captivated on how do I capture that image through my own through my own eyes. And today when I think about you know, how I've been able to bridge those two loves. For me, when I think about myself as a composer, 
I think about composing is just painting with sound. Mm. And so there's been a really beautiful journey of just looking at, well, what are the correlations between myself as a musician and myself as a visual artist and how could I bridge the two? Yeah, that's really interesting. We did have a conversation a while back with uh, Ken Florence about music education, and we wound up getting into synesthesia where he actually sees sounds. And it was interesting when you're talking about connecting the visual arts to music and a love of musical arts. It is interesting how, particularly among creative folks, lots of times there are more natural connections across modes than, than maybe the rest of us typically see. Yeah, I think you're right. And I find the more I lean into that, I feel like I don't actually feel like one practice suffers. I feel like both are strengthened. Yeah. And I feel like we are in this beautiful renaissance period where you are seeing people wearing multiple artistic hats. And I yeah. think we're going to see a lot more of those multidisciplinary collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. It's also a place where recognition of the importance of the arts is a trend that we're both noticing and trying to continue to power to some extent where, you know, especially as folks talk about artificial intelligence and places where things are, where automation and machine learning is making meaningful inroads, music and the arts, in fact, is one of them. You do see AI composing more music lately, but it's also a place where many thinkers are, are saying that humans will continue to play a significant role in the arts, in some ways, it's safer than more mechanical type work. And even some engineering, the AI and, and machines will get better at. When it comes to music and the visual arts, that's a place where human creativity continues to play a very central role. And it is something that I'd be curious your perspective on how much of this can be taught versus how much of it is something you're just kind of born with. How do you think about teaching the creative arts? Oh, that's a great question. Bring me back to that idea of AI in the arts. And I find that really fascinating because when we think about it with AI, we're trying to capture those elements that make us more human. Mm. And so with the bringing in of arts and music, like those are things, those are expressions that are innately human. Mm -hmm. And when I think about the arts, in terms of this old age old debate of nurture versus nature, I think that it'll always continue to be a little bit of both. I think that there are definitely some students that I have come across who just tend to lean a bit more towards artistic expressions and it becomes very natural to them. Yeah. But it's also hard because you don't really know what was their home environment like. How have their own specific cultures and home communities influenced that? And then also you see kids that might not have growing up with music and then they find themselves in a really rich musical community. They start to blossom and thrive. I think at the end of the day, whether it is nurture versus nature, we are able to have that communities that are rich within the art and that gives that really levels the playing field at the end of the day. Yeah. So I, I feel like we're kind of caught in between if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And then at the same time, frequently arts programs are getting squeezed out of K-12 education, you know, my son is in pre-K and fortunately it's visual arts rich, music rich, but it is a place where, you know, relatively soon it's going to switch modes. And I'm actually more concerned about that than I realized, you know, where it seems like the centrality of arts education in pre-K, early childhood education is certainly understood. And then at some point there's a shift towards STEM 
although now increasingly we're inserting the A into STEM for STEAM, to say that there's recognition that the arts deserve at least one letter out of the five. Any perspective as someone who's both been a, an artist and also as someone who's been thinking about education as it relates to the arts, any thoughts on the importance of the arts in contemporary education? Yeah, and I feel like that is an issue where us as artists, as art educators, artists, administrators, where we really need to hold that in terms of we live in a world that no matter if we like it or not, that KPIs and key performance indicators are things that are important. Yeah. And I think that because the arts is in a lot of ways, it's an intuitive practice. And there's something that's so beautiful about that. And I think that sometimes when we switch to saying, how do we measure that? I think that can be seen as putting it in a box. However, I find as myself as a creator, I think that sometimes boxes can actually make us become more critical, mm. you know? So if we are able to bridge, be bridge builders with arts administrators who are saying, hey, I, I see this work that you're doing, whether that's a music teacher or an art teacher, or they're bringing artists into schools mm. and they're saying, we see this work and see that it's important, but I've got budget lines and I have to communicate this. I think that's where we need to work together to be creative and to say where do our worlds intersect mm. and to be able to clean it. Yes, it may be an intuitive practice, whatever the artist discipline may be, but we actually need to be able to start to use our creativity to communicate those outcomes because they're there and they're happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're someone who's pursuing a career in these spaces. That is something we talk a lot about the great resignation and the creator economy, the passion economy, you're someone who seems to be living through what I would call the, the the passion economy. Like, you know what you love to do, and then you're figuring out how to build a career around, uh, you know, it happens to be a creative endeavor as well. But I, I'd love to hear a little more about what that's like and any uh, perspective or advice you might have for folks who are curious about that path. Yeah, actually, that kind of reminds me of something that I think you, you had an interview with Beth Porter a few mm -hmm. weeks ago, and it's this idea of where the technical and the business meet mm -hmm. that you guys were discussing. And I think the same way about that in my own work, where I'm looking at my artistic, where the artistic part of my practice and the practical implications meet. So I asked the same question that I do on stage that I would as an arts educator doing this work. And the question is, what do we need right now? And knowing that the, the emphasis is not on, on me and my artistic expression, but it's on the room. I think once we're able to shift that mindset and be able to say, make the art making a collaborative work, that's when we can start to apply meaning to what we're doing. Because I know what we had just chatted about, that for arts education to continue, we need to be able to show the impact. Yeah. And I think as someone who's working in this field, something that as much as I want to be, I want to stand in my own artistic integrity. I want to present art that I'm proud of. I want to have open that space. But oftentimes I will just describe my concerts as interactive concerts. Mm. And what that means is that I know that even if it's the same music, it's the same program, this experience is unique to myself and the audience and it will never be the same again. Mm. And I think once you invite people into that, that's when the, the excitement starts because it's no longer a passive role that the audience plays that they're acting within that. And that's something that I, I hope to bring to all of my offering. 
Yeah, I love that. That reminds me very much of the collaborative, co-creative aspect of a lot of work life nowadays, where we're expected to work in groups, we're expected to create collaborative outputs, ideally creative outputs, which is one of the challenges. I, I think that folks who get too much in the KPI return on investment mindset lose sight of the fact that innovation still needs to happen. You have to break out of molds in order to invent the future that you want to live into. But it is, it's hard to teach that. It's hard to learn how to do that. It's a time where we're all looking for ways to inspire that in others. I did want to hear more from you a, a bit on inspiration as an, as a composer and a musician and a creator. How are you finding inspiration these days? You know, how is everything impacting your art? Many times creative renaissances are driven by difficult times. How have the last few years uh, been for you? I think like for myself and many, whether they're in the arts or in a different field, I think that there's been a fair amount of, of being retrospective and looking at how do we spend our time? I think the thing that I really noticed is that I, I did a lot of traveling before in terms of whether I'm in a school or I'm mm. teaching or I'm performing and then being having to, you know, shelter in place or to be in one, one place. You really do think about the time that you spend. So I think that there's definitely been a season of being retrospective and mm. thinking about time and, you know, those places of meaning. And so I think that's been a big element of this season. The other thing that I've started to think about is what does it look like to make an impact and how can I deepen that impact in the work that I do? We were talking about the, the STEM and the STEAM and, yeah. and where does art find its place? Yeah. And I think that something as we are shifting to this economy of more like a collaborative, innovative workspace, I think we do need to recognize, I think this is something that I felt during the pandemic season as well, is that it's not a work-life balance, it's a developer's work-life balance. Yeah. You know, that we have to be aware of how we are bringing ourselves into our work. And that does, that might include, you know, personal things about ourselves. And I think that this whole season has definitely been really impactful in terms of focusing on how do I spend my time? We've seen particularly in the States and a little bit in, in Canada where I'm from, this kind of it, a, a renewing of this conversation when we talk about social injustice and what it yeah. look like. And I think that's something that I've had to consider for myself as well. And what does that look like for me to come to this space? And yeah. and also, how do I use my voice in ways that are authentic, but then also not being shy about how I'm bringing my voice to the table? So I think it's definitely a lot uh, focus on being retrospective and thinking about the past and, and how I've been spending my time, how we've been spending our time. But then as we move forward, particularly as a musician and an arts educator, you know, I've seen the importance that the arts have been to people during this pandemic season. Mm -hmm. And what does it look like to bring that voice to the forefront? And I do think that this is a really pivotal time for that. And then the use of technology and emerging media is something that, that we're always tracking here and how that intersects with education. As we're talking, I'm already imagining an underscore with a soft viola building as the conversation goes on as someone who is a composer and thinking about all the different creative media including some of which is audio powered like this podcast how are you thinking about how genres are evolving how formats are ripe for experimentation 
and then perhaps how that may connect back to the world of learning. In terms of looking at, well, what are we learning and what, and what kind of season that we're in? I find that one of the most exciting things about being a musician and a composer and an arts educator, because part of my job actually is deep listening. Mm. You know, as much as it is my job or my role, whether in my artistic vocation is to bring sound forward, I think a lot of that is it's listening to what season are we in? And that question that I tend to ask when I'm on stage of, what do we need right now? And I think that myself, I'm a big podcast listener. And we have, we're talking a little bit about before before we uh, press record, and you're talking about, you know, how podcasts, they, they did have a boom, but I think that they're con it's continuing to be really popular a medium that people are using. And for myself as a podcast listener, I find that it's a really intimate medium. And I think that you do, from listening to the sound of someone's voice in your ear, you really it's almost like you feel like you're getting to know them on a personal level. And I think that that this could be a really, really beautiful medium for musicians, for theater artists to be able to say, what does it look like? Not to shy away from video, because I think video definitely has its place, but knowing to be able to translate our art form into it in audio form. And I think that there is just something beautiful and intimate about that to really bring people into you know, the art that we're creating. And there's an emotional element to music and the arts that I think frequently is something we struggle with as educators, bringing it into our classrooms, social emotional learning. I like to say I get social emotional, baby. I've been doing that for many years. I continue to keep that shtick going. But the importance of social emotional learning is something that we wind up tracking on, on a multiple different dimensions. Any thoughts on how music and the arts can unlock a little more of an emotionality that is central to what it means to be human and is something that I think has been a revelation for a lot of educators and folks who care about learning in these challenging times is that tapping into maybe our more transcendent qualities, music can and sound and the creative arts can help us tap into something bigger than ourselves. Any perspective on that? Yeah, I find that music and visual arts in particular, I think one of their greatest strengths is that they're great stories going forward. And I think that more now more than ever, what does it look like to use music and visual arts to tell our stories, mm -hmm. whether that's where we've been, where we are, or where we're going, and not just our individual stories, but our stories as a community. I have this one concert that's called Igniting Creativity Through Art and Sound. And basically, it's a huge choose-your-own-adventure with the audience. You mm -hmm. tell a story. And a lot of times, you know, it, it's quite fun and, and different, you know, characters from cartoons or that or books make it into these stories. But ultimately, what we're doing is we're I'm inviting the students to be able to get in the habit of using music and art to tell stories. And if they can translate that to their own lives to be able to tell stories that they care about, and maybe even use that personification. Maybe mm. the story about them, but instead of using them, they create the character. You know, I think that that is a great tool in social and emotional learning. And I think that something that sometimes is missed is that social and emotional learning needs to be in place and be quite strong if we actually want to go on to tackle all the STEM areas as well. And so they really do, I find that is the foundation of so many things. And so I feel like using the arts as a storyteller Mm -hmm. It's a really powerful way of doing 
Yeah, that makes sense. Thinking about the expressive nature of the arts, you know, their communicative power and how they can tap into things like mood and tone, like subtler things that frequently those of us who want to just get to the transcripts, let's get to the point, hit, give me some bullet points. There are times when in some ways the arts make us slow down and, and or take a different perspective, which ultimately is really beneficial. We're getting closer to time, Catherine, as we're getting closer to conclusion. I want to make sure if there's anything else out there, any advice for our listeners that you wanted to put forward, any suggestions. If folks are curious about anything we talked about, they want to learn more about you or any of this stuff, where should they go? Yeah. If you are on social media and you hang out on Instagram, I'm at Catherine, that's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N, Patricia, P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A. If you just want to check out my website, you can go to KatherinePatricia.com and there's a bunch of stuff there. Uh, I would say kind of ending advice in terms of how do we engage more deeply in the arts and in, in innovative thinking, I would say is to break down the silos. You know, if you find that there are parts of your work or yourselves, you might be a certain way at work, but then, you know, maybe you're you love to sing. Maybe you you love collecting stamps or something like that. And even though they might seem a little bit random or, or kind of not close together, if we can break from those silos and explore the liminal space where they all intersect, I think that's where we're going to start to find a lot of creativity and, and, and innovation coming forward. The second thing I would say is to follow your curiosity. These days I have this workshop, it's called Sound and Living Color, and it's a music-inspired thinking workshop. And I talk about how I use my paintbrush and compared to how I use my viola bone and talking about the intersect. That happens because I wanted to see where does my craft as a visual artist and a musician intersect. So the second thing would be following your curiosity to see, you know, where it takes you. Mm. And the last thing I would say is really asking that question of what do we need right now? And not to forsake artistic integrity. But to be able to turn that I to a we mm. and to have that, you know, that innovation and that creating together, I think that's when we can start to find real move in our work. Outstanding stuff. Catherine, Patricia Cobbler, a musician, a composer, and an educator, also a wonderful guest on Trending in Education. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show. Well, thanks so much for having me, Michael. Awesome. And our listeners, if you enjoyed what you're hearing, please subscribe. Tell your friends, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. And to take us out fittingly, we have Catherine Patricia Cobbler, When Mountains Speak. Thanks for listening. <laughs>